Welcome to the Wealthsteading Podcast. This is episode 223. Today is April 28th, 2017. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, today I'm going to get around to answering uh, the millions of you, well, not quite that many, but the whole bunch of you that keep nagging me and asking me to comment about 401k investing or 403b or whatever your type uh, employer-sponsored retirement program would be, particularly for those of you that are in a restricted account or account that offers very limited choices. We're going to talk about that in this episode. And as a parallel to that, I'm also going to briefly discuss or really use the government thrift savings plan as an example to talk about 401ks. Now, they're not all the same thing, but they're very similar. And for our purposes, that's what we want to focus on is simplicity. So for all of you that have been having employer-sponsored retirement account type questions, we'll cover that in this episode. I also want to reiterate, though, that there is a search feature on both of my websites over at wealthsteading.com as well as investablewealth.com. You can put in a topic and see if I have any references to that in the past. And you will find that we've talked about things like 401k plans many times in the past. And so, you know, with over 200 episodes of the Wealthsteading podcast out there and my blog's going back, I don't know, three years or more, four years ago, many, many of the questions that you send into me have already been answered. So give that search feature a try. And then, oh, as always, I am happy to receive your questions. I, I just have to reiterate, I am really busy running my business and doing things in my personal life. This podcast, you know, it's a hobby for me. It, it, it's an outreach. I enjoy doing it. I love interacting with all of you in the audience, but it's not my full-time job. It's just a labor of love. So don't feel sorry if you don't get a reply back from me from the questions you sent in. I try and accumulate them. And if I get enough of the same type question, then I answer those in, you know, podcast episodes. In any case, before I get started, I do want to answer one other question that I've gotten from many of you, and that's about uh, the book that I've written. So if you've been listening to the Wellsteading Podcast, you know that many months ago I had mentioned that I was writing a book and that was taking up a lot of my time and that was limiting the spare time that I did have to dedicate to podcast episodes. Well, that book will be available this month. I will, of course, promote it in upcoming episodes. I'm going to wait and start to do that, though, on the day that the book is officially available. Right now, it can be pre-ordered, but I'll just put that out as a teaser for you. I know some people have asked about it because I haven't specifically told you exactly what the topic is. It is not, you know, the well-steading series of investing. That's That's not what this is about. Of course, my life is about investing in trends, and so... Uh, the underlying theme is going to be investing in, in trends, but the specific topic of the book is very timely and I think going to be of great importance to many people outside of this audience, outside of people that are just in interested in investing or in retirement. For that reason, that's why I chose the publisher I did and I chose to uh, market it and go about it the way I'm doing. But in any case, for those of you in the audience that are interested I'm sure if you do a quick Google search, you'll be able to find out what the book is, what it's about, and you can pre-order it if you want to. In fact, if you want to play a little game, let's say this. Uh, for those of you that are really interested, if you want to go out and find out what the title is or what the topic is, something like that, when it's being published, contact me through wellsteading.com. I'll put your names into a drawing, and then when I get my copies of the book, I'll pick a few of the names of those of you that have responded and I'll have a, a raffle, a drawing. I'll send out some autographed copies of the book when it's available. 
Incidentally, if I do get a good response from the audience and you're interested in the book, I will keep probably doing maybe giveaways in the upcoming weeks or months. And I think that I'm also, again, this is going to be based on feedback I receive from the audience, but if there's enough interest, I'll also probably pick some selective topics or stories from the you know 20 or so chapters that are in the book and make that the focus of a wealth setting podcast episode. Now, that will have more of an investor slant to it or a wealth building slant to it because I know that's what you guys come here to hear. But again, we'll see what kind of interest I get from the audience and, and we'll proceed accordingly. Anyways, as you can probably tell, I am revved up and excited. It's a Friday afternoon. I just drank a big, tall glass of raw goat milk. For those of you that have never partaken in raw goat milk and you wonder what it tastes like, well, it tastes exactly the way it sounds. Absolutely horrible, but it is healthy. So, hey, let's talk about 401k plans, 403b plans, whatever your tax-advantaged, employer-sponsored retirement savings plan is. That may be um, a government thrift savings plan that's called a TSP plan, or it could be a standard, you know, run-of-the-mill 401k. 401ks are basically the same as 403bs or other things that are offered to nonprofits or other type of organizations that, like government-type municipalities and things. In any case, they're all about the same. I'm not going to get into the specific differences because there are some differences here and there. But for the most part, what applies to a 401k applies to the other types of employee-sponsored retirement plans. And this is distinctly different from your own individual retirement plan, which would be something like a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, or if you're self-employed, something like a SEP or a simple IRA. Now, we're not going to get into all that today. What I want to focus on is even not all the nuts and bolts of 401ks, but to specifically address the questions that I've received from the listeners, they want to know about should they invest or should they contribute in their 401k plan if it's really restrictive. And what I mean by restrictive is it only offers a limited amount of investment choices and or there are really tight time requirements as to when you can and can't buy in or out of a fund. Now, some of you are blessed with really awesome 401ks. I have some clients that have 401ks that pretty much let them do whatever they want to. It's just tied to a brokerage account, and they can buy stocks with it. They can buy ETFs. They can do whatever. I mean, hey, those are great investment opportunities. I think those type of flexible funds are awesome. And if you're in something like that, then you don't have to worry about, you know, the, the issues about a restrictive fund. But many, 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 I would say the vast majority of you are in very old dinosaur type 401k plans. And so they may offer you, you know, five or six or maybe 10 choices plus a lot of other things which really aren't choices at all. For example, you may have like five main funds that you can be in and then you have another 15 targeted date funds. Well, I'll tell you right off the bat, I do not like targeted date funds. Incidentally, let me step back a minute. I'm not giving you any investment advice today or ever. I'm simply telling you what my preferences are, what my choices are, what I've done when I was invested in a 401k plan, when I had a corporate job, and what I would do if I was in that now. These are just my opinions. They're not advice. Take it for what it's worth. Learn to develop critical thinking skills and to think and invest on your own. Now, as far as why I don't like these targeted date funds, and these are the ones that might be like the, the 2032 fund. And they say, hey, if you're going to retire in 2032, then you should just put your money in this fund and not worry about it. Well, here's how those funds basically work. They're very formulaic, and roughly what they do 
is they take your age and subtract it from 100. And then whatever that number is, they say that that's the percentage that your portfolio should be invested in the stock market. Now, they don't all work that way, but roughly, you, you get the idea. Rule of thumb, that's how they work. Now, there's a, many things about that I don't like, but here are the two big ones. So number one, it assumes that the younger you are, the more you should be in the stock market because it's less risky. Now, I agree with the fact that younger people have greater risk tolerance, so I'm okay with that concept. But my concept also is, is that the best returns and the least risk is not always in the stock market, right? If you were 20 years old or 30 years old or 45 years old and you were 100% invested in the S&P 500 in 2006 and 2007, well, come 2008, you still lost like half your money. So yes, even though you had many years to recover that, you still lost half your money. How safe was that, right? How risk averse is that? And what I'm saying here is that I personally don't think that just because you're younger means that you should be 100% invested in stocks. Also, on the other side of that, stocks are not always the best investment given the risk of what's going on in the economy. For example, bonds can be very lucrative and create an awesome capital gain when interest rates are declining. And incidentally, that's kind of the environment we were in for, you know, about 30 years ago, going back to the mid-1980s. And ever since, interest rates have been coming down. And then in recent years, they've stagnated because they can't get much lower. And so in those situations, bonds made a lot of sense because they offered you the safety of receiving an income through the dividend that was paid, as well as getting a capital appreciation because every time interest rates came down, the principal of your bond fund went up. That made a lot of sense. But we're not in that kind of environment anymore. You hear me harp and talk about this all the time, and I'm going to keep doing it because people just don't get it. Bond funds are not safe. If interest rates go up, if interest rates go up, the principal in your bond fund will go down. And yes, you'll receive more in interest. Right now, the 10 year treasury is at about, I'll call it two and a quarter. If the 10 year treasury goes up to say 5%, well, yes, you'll receive more in dividend payments, more in interest payments from that fund, but your principal will decline immensely if we have that much of an increase in interest rates. So again, the problem I have with these formulated uh, targeted retirement funds is that they're just making decisions simply about your age. They're assuming that stocks are risky and you should hold them when you're younger and that bonds are safe and you should hold them when you're older. Well, it all depends on market conditions. Bonds are not always safe. Stocks are not always necessarily risky. The other thing I don't like about it, and this is a big number two reason, is that generally those funds are considered, quote, managed, and they cost a lot more than just a standard old index fund. And since all they're really doing is, you know, maybe a couple times a year, once a year, adjusting how much of the market you're in versus how much bonds you're in, you can very easily and cheaply do that yourself if that's a strategy you want to follow. If you want to follow that strategy and you're 40, you subtract 40 from 100, you get 60, you say, hey, I'm going to put 60% of my portfolio in the S&P 500. I'm going to put 40% in a high quality investing grade bond fund. Boom, you're done. You don't have to pay big fees for that. So that's why I don't like those targeted date funds. As far as the other types of choices you get in these uh, restricted accounts, we'll talk about those in a minute as we talk about the, the government TSP or thrift savings plan. But the big point I want to make or answer to the question of, 
you know, should you invest in one of these restricted 401k plans? Well, you know, the answer is maybe. It depends what your other options are. And really, the real critical thing is how much, if anything, does your employer match? You see, if your employer is matching you 100% up to a certain amount, I think you would be absolutely crazy not to invest up to that matching amount. Again, not giving you advice, just my opinion, but think about it. If your employer matches you 100% up to 3% of your contribution, well, that means on that 3%, you're getting a 100% return. You can do absolutely nothing with that money for the next 10 years, and on average, that would be a 10% a year return on your money. Don't ever pass up free money. So at a minimum, to the extent that your employer is matching your contributions, I think it makes sense for you to, to, to do that, even if you're in the most restrictive plan of all, because you're getting a 100% return on your money from day one. Now, what about the rest of the amount that you've earmarked for your retirement savings? Should you throw that amount in your 401k? Well, again, it depends on a million things. Particularly, it comes down to how much you're saving and how much you receive in compensation. You see, because the government doesn't want any of us to be too rich. That would be unfair. And so you're limited from contributing to things like IRAs and Roths as far as individual plans go that are outside of your employer's plan if you make certain amounts of money. So again, the government doesn't want you to get too rich. That would be very unfair. And so rather than allowing you to contribute as much as you want to your individual retirement accounts like an IRA, you know, they're only going to let you contribute $5,500 a year for an individual. A married couple can, can double that even if they other spouse is non-working, you're still allowed to do that. So that's a benefit. But still, it's $5,500 a year unless you're 50 or over. And then gee whiz, they let you throw in another thousand bucks. Boy, aren't they considerate. But there are income thresholds that prohibit you from either contributing to those individual plans or for allowing them to be deductible. For example, if you're single, you can contribute your $5,500 to an IRA, but it's only deductible from your taxes if you make an income of less than 117000 after 117000 it starts to phase out to $132,000 in income. Now, I know some of you are saying, hey, well, someone that makes $132,000, they shouldn't get to contribute or deduct it from their income tax. I got news for you. Last time I was out in California, I was talking to a bunch of young guys, really smart young guys that are working in the tech sector. We're all pulling down well over $200,000 in income. And you know what? Not one of them could afford a home. Housing costs in the Bay Area out in Silicon Valley are astronomical. And so maybe you're making $200,000, dollars $400,000. You know what? You're still barely middle class. Can't even afford a home. So yet again, why I think these restrictions are, are asinine, but but in any case, I'm, I'm digressing here. So, And I'm not going to get into all the particulars of, of backdoor IRAs and whether you should contribute to a Roth over an IRA. We've talked about those things before. I personally always prefer a Roth IRA because they are tax-free on future earnings as opposed to tax-deferred. But again, that's a topic we've talked about before. I'm sure we'll talk about it in the future. Bottom line, in terms of your options to contribute to your employer-sponsored program versus an individual program, if you're someone that is below the thresholds and you can contribute 100% to either your individual IRA or your Roth IRA, I think in a lot of cases, you're much better doing that than contributing more to your employer's program, more meaning beyond the amount they match, 
if you're in one of these kind of very restricted programs. Because whenever you contribute to your own IRA or your own individual Roth, you can take it down to any discount broker and you don't have any limited restrictions that only allow you to invest in four or five mutual funds, right? You can invest in any stock, any ETF. You don't have timing restrictions. Well, you do, but we won't get into that. For the most part, you have more limited timing restrictions in an IRA or a Roth than you would in some of these really ironclad retirement programs that are only going to give you five choices. But on the other hand, if you're a really highly compensated employee, then those same limits that apply to individual contributors do not apply to employer-sponsored plans. So the single guy that's making 132000 that can't write off his $5,500 in an IRA or is ineligible from contributing to a Roth IRA because he makes too much money, he can still squirrel away a whole bunch of money in his employer's retirement-sponsored program. And so that's the real advantage there. If you're really a high earner and you can't put this in your own individual fund, then go ahead, put it in your employer's program, even if it's restrictive. Because I think in a lot of cases, you highly compensated people are going to leave and not be with the same employer for the rest of your life anyways. And so if you change jobs in three or four or five years, all that big money that you've accumulated in your retirement program at work, you can roll that over into either individual Roth IRA or traditional IRA. And then again, those restrictions will be gone. You can take it down to a discount broker and you can pretty much invest that money however you see fit. So the other big question I get about these restricted 401k plans is, well, I only have these four or five mutual funds, or you've already told me not to invest in the targeted date funds. So these four or five choices that I have, how should I invest in them? How should I trade them? Well, you know, it really depends on what they offer. And I, again, I've talked to many, many people that they don't offer much. I mean, some of them offer a large cap fund, a small cap fund, and a bond fund, and that's it. And since I specifically don't know how restricted your fund is, let's just use the government TSP plan as a template or as a model because that retirement plan limits you to only six funds. But in a lot of ways, those six funds are going to be probably similar to the, the three or four or five that you have in your restricted 401k. Now, there are a couple real advantages to the government TSP plan that you're not going to have or you're probably not going to have in your employer-sponsored program if you're just a typical civilian. And I want to cover those first. First and foremost, the fees charged by the mutual funds that are available in the government's program are extremely, extremely inexpensive. I'm looking at some data here, and I'm not sure if this is you know 2017 data or not, but for the most part, it looks like a government TSP program fund is only going to charge you about three basis points. So that's, you know, whatever amount is in your portfolio times 0 0.0003. That is a very, very low fee compared to many traditional, particularly the old school employer 401k programs. Especially when you look at their managed funds, they can really, really charge you a lot, a lot. So always look at the amount of money you're being charged. But if you're in the government TSP program, pretty good deal. The other thing that I absolutely positively love about the TSP program, and I wish I had it available to me, is the G fund. That's G is in golf. The G fund is basically the money market fund for the, the government TSP program. And what I love about it is that it not only pays a high interest rate, because what it's doing, it's taking all the government debt, which has a duration of uh, somewhere between, say, six and seven years. It's taking whatever that cumulative interest rate is on all the government debt 
and it's paying you that amount on that fund, which is good in and of itself. But the better part is, is that that fund is 100% guaranteed to never lose principal. So when you hear me talking about the downside of being invested in a bond fund where if interest rates go up, your principal can go down, well, that's not going to happen in the G fund. So it is truly about the safest investment on the face of the planet. And I definitely wish I had something like that available to me. Now, chances are none of you are going to have something exactly like that in your plan, but you may have a guaranteed income fund, which is still pretty good. And it's probably not going to pay anywhere near of an interest rate of what this government G fund pays, but you may be able to get half a percent or one percent guaranteed. And in this kind of environment that we're in, where 10-year treasuries are, you know, barely two percent, that is a very good amount to get on a guaranteed basis. Now, the difference in the guarantee is that yours is going to be guaranteed through an insurance company, and there's always the risk that that insurance company could go bankrupt. The great part about the TSP program with the G fund is that the federal government's never going to go bankrupt. So again, if your fund has some type of a guaranteed interest payment on one of their funds, look into that, see what the fees are. That is probably one of your best options for parking your money. Now, as far as the other five funds that are offered in a government TSP plan, pretty much run-of-the-mill stuff. There's the C fund, that's C as in Charlie. It invests in large cap and medium cap U.S. stocks, U.S. companies. So pretty much for the most part, that's the S&P 500. When you hear me talk about my favorite index is the S&P 500, that would be the one, the C fund. Now, in your 401k plan, it may not be called the S&P 500 fund. So what is it going to be called? I don't know, but it's going to be called something like that. Large cap U.S. stocks, large and medium cap, something along that. If you read the fine print close enough, you'll probably see that somewhere in there it does say that it's benchmarked to the S&P 500. So if you have that fund, and chances are that almost everybody would, that's kind of your go-to index fund because it is truly what the whole market is benchmarked against. Now, it definitely doesn't mean you're not going to lose money, right? We can see throughout history when S&P 500 has lost a lot of money, pretty much close to 50% in 2008, close to 50, 40 some percent in, in 2000. So it can definitely get wiped out. But at the same time, it is one of the safest investments in any type of stock market because you are invested in the largest companies in America and America is the largest company in the world. So it's not that it's bulletproof, it's just safe in comparison to other markets or other investment opportunities. So that's a fund that you should be looking for within your retirement plan. You should earmark that. And then you have to decide, and this is a big choice, are you going to dollar cost average in, which would mean just every month having a percentage of the amount that you're putting into retirement, you know, having that go into a fund like this into the S&P 500? Are you going to put 100% of your money into that and then just wait for you know 25 or 30 years till you retire and not touch it? Or are you going to try and time the market? Now, again, my opinion, my personal choice, what I do with my money, I try and time the market. I prefer swing trading. May not be right for you, may not be appropriate for you. So understanding the fact that there really are only two choices, you're either going to swing trade or you're going to dollar cost average. You know, the discussion gets real simple, real quick. If you're going to dollar cost average, then pick a fund like the S&P 500, which for the most part is the safest of any of the markets, right? It doesn't mean that it's always going to perform the best, but overall it has the least risk of virtually any market in the, in the world. 
Well, you can decide to just put 100% of your money in there every paycheck and let it ride out for the next 30 or 40 years and not worry about it. Done, right? You don't have to, you don't have to go into any kind of big convoluted investing plan. That's simply it. If you want to get a little more complicated than that, then look to the other three or four funds that are going to be in your retirement plan. Again, getting back to the TSP, there are four other funds. There's the S fund, which invests in small and medium sized type U.S. companies, which basically means that it has more risk than the S&P 500. But again, you're still investing in the U.S. and that's the basically the strongest, the most resilient market in the world. And so while you may make larger gains there, you also have more risk, but it's probably not going to go to zero. You also have an I fund. That's I is in India. That's for international stocks. Now, these are more developed, mature markets, so they're not super risky. You're going to invest in, in things like Europe and, and just standard companies in Asia, um, Australia, things of that nature, Canada. So it's going to give you broader exposure than simply investing in that C fund that's only going to be in S&P 500 companies. This is going to be more like the large international companies. Or the fourth fund available in TSP is the F fund, which invests both in, in government, in corporate, and in mortgage-backed bonds. Now, that's going to probably pay you a higher interest rate than the G fund, but your principal is not guaranteed. So basically, in those four other funds, that's the F fund, the C fund, the S fund, and the I fund, four different options, you can decide to put your money in the S&P 500, or in large international stocks, or in smaller U.S. companies, or in bond funds that are both government and corporate and mortgage-backed, and they're all you know fairly safe, other than the exposure to increasing interest rates. Again, it gets back to, do you want to time that, or do you just want a dollar-cost average? Well, hey, if you want to just dollar-cost average, and you want to take on less risk than just putting it all in the S&P 500, you can put 25% in each one of those four funds. Or you can just put 50% in the S&P 500 and 50% in the international fund. Or if you want that, uh, you know, balance with, with bonds like you're supposed to do as you get older, if you subscribe to that kind of a thought, well, determine what your risk is for your appropriate age and put that amount in the S&P 500 or split it up between the S&P 500 and the small cap and the international. And then put the balance in the F fund, which is, is the, uh, the overall bond fund. If you're going to buy and hold, it's not complicated. In fact, the fifth of the funds that are available in the TSP plan is basically that totally balanced buy and hold approach. And that's the L funds. That's L is in Lima. The L fund basically just takes your money and splits it up and puts you in equal amounts into those other four funds. And so really the TSP program doesn't have six funds. It really only has five. It has that G fund, which is principal guaranteed. And then it has the bond fund, the S&P 500 fund, the small cap fund, and the international fund. The L fund is just a composite of the other four anyways. So if you really want to be middle of the road, balanced fund, don't want to worry about it, just put your money in the L fund for the next 25 or 30 years and don't worry about it. Done. Simple. On the other hand, if you're someone that wants to try and time the market and you want to try some swing trading, well, then you still have those five funds to move in and out of. And although they're restrictive, and although there's only five funds, you still have them. If you think the U.S. market's going to be in an uptrend, go invest in the S&P 500 and, and the small cap U.S. fund. When you think that's getting too risky, either put it into the F fund, which is the, the corporate and the government bond fund, or put it over into the G fund, which is the one that's 100% principal guaranteed. Or if you think that international markets are going to outperform U.S. markets, throw it into the I fund. 
Now, again, you don't have specific niche funds. You can't invest in gold. You can't invest in commodities. You can't invest in emerging markets. Okay, you just can't. You have to accept that. But you still have five funds that you can move things in and out of. And so, should you contribute to your 401k if it's restrictive? Well, again, maybe. You know, a lot of these funds, although they're restrictive, it allows people to make an excuse. People say, well, I don't invest in my retirement plan because it's too restrictive. Okay, well, does it have an S&P 500 fund? Well, I don't know. I never looked. Well, listen, if it has an S&P 500 fund, you can easily swing trade in and out of that. I did that for years. I've said before that if I only had one fund to trade in, I would trade the SPY. That's a ETF, but it's an ETF that tracks the S&P 500. And you can come up with a very simple strategy to move in and out of that and swing trade and time the market. Now, is that the best way to do it? No, I don't think so. It's not the best, but it's certainly one strategy. And if that's all you have available to you, then don't complain. Just go take advantage of it. But above all else, what I want to stress in this episode is if your employer offers a match to your retirement plan, by all means, don't pass up free money. At a minimum, contribute to the amount that they match. And then if you choose not to invest in your employer's retirement program, you need to be investing somewhere because when you get old, no one's going to take care of you. You have to take care of yourself. So whether you're investing in your employer's program or whether you're investing in your own individual IRAs or whether you're investing in real estate or your business or whatever it is, you need to be investing. You need to be investing wisely because otherwise you're going to end up old and broke. Well, hey, there you have it. That's my thoughts on retirement programs. As always, I appreciate the questions that you send in to me. Thanks for listening. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.